Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. I'm a journeyer. Part of what that means is that at heart, I'm an explorer. And then it, that means an explorer of ideas, of cultures, of, of possibilities, and of our human potential. And today you get to be part of a trailblazing journey into awakened beingness, I can call it that, through the vehicle of Indian goddess archetypes. This is really a journey into your own sovereign being so that you can access your full power. So please join me, stay tuned. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO and founder of the Baca Institute, home of the Inner Guidance Mastery Blueprint. Head there to discover your quantum connection with your inner guidance by taking the quantum connection quiz. We are each designed to connect with source differently. And knowing your own style, your own way of doing that is the first step of connecting with your inner guidance at a deeper level than you ever thought was possible. It's the secret to creating what you truly want in your life. I am honored today to have with me Acharya Shunya, who is a truth teller who facilitates authenticity, self-remembrance, and divine feminine pathways to awakening within. The first female head of her 2,000-year-old Indian spiritual lineage, Shunya reinterprets and recontextualizes ancient teachings for modern times. You see what I mean about you're going to take a journey. You will be in an exploration. This... This Her way of reinterpreting this is about empowering people to lead fearless, fulfilled, and enlightened lives. She is president of Awakened Self Foundation and founder of Vedica Global Inc. and is the author of best-selling books, Ayurveda, Lifestyle Wisdom, and Sovereign Self. Welcome, Shunya. Laurie, it's such a pleasure. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. So I, I, I want to um, set a stage for our, our, our listeners so that they can really journey with us on this exploration. And I think maybe one way that we could start that is if you would tell us a little bit about how the um, how the goddess archetypes have really led you to break out of your own limiting situations, whatever they might be, and particularly limiting relationships, and and how that led you to writing your new book, which I will say is more like a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us a little about that. I was born in India, and um, we revere the goddess. In India, the concept of divinity is quite out of the box. Mm -hmm. And while we believe in a boundless, formless, unitary consciousness as God, this supreme intelligence can express itself 
through masculine, feminine, and even fluid gender forms. So the divine feminine was not a new concept, but something that felt familiar. And I grew up with goddesses, specifically the goddess Durga, who represents courage, Lakshmi, who represents prosperity, abundance, playfulness, and Saraswati, who represents intuition and wisdom. And I saw that these goddesses were not only revered in my home, but they were a trans-India phenomena. And then I saw how the goddesses had inspired Buddhism too, and Sikhism and Jainism and all these religions, along with Hinduism that had emerged in the heartland of India. Mm -hmm. And then as I was growing up, I was facing challenges as any young woman would in any part of the world, no matter how progressive her family is or how educated she is or how contemporary her thinking is, patriarchy <laughs> has come to stay on our planet. It's a product of false beliefs, but it has a tenacious hold on too many minds and too many hearts. And I kept meeting some walls especially in my first marriage and um, just in various things, also just being a female spiritual teacher mm -hmm. in all male spiritual lineage up till now. And I remembered how these goddesses in their mythology were unapologetic, they were fierce, they were passionate, they were bold. And then I didn't want to just revere them. I wanted to be them. Yeah, I wanted to talk like them, walk like them, mate like them. I wanted to roar like them, and roaring is like finding your authentic voice, your opinion, your expression, and truly being uh, like a lioness in my human jungle. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably that is when I brought the goddesses that I've grown up with a few notches down to meet me, <gasps> and I uplifted humankind womankind a few notches above to be them mm -hmm. and uh, that's how I gave birth to this theory I haven't heard what I write about anywhere I haven't I've heard stories but I haven't in heard the interpretation that I provide all this happened Laurie in the laboratory of my life and I think you would understand what that means that's Really, in a way, I would say the only place that we really have is a laboratory is, is is our own life, our own inner being. And when we're willing to do the exploration, to do the inner research so that we come to a new place of, of understanding and of living, that's where we get to know you've got something real. And it feels like what you're saying is this really changed your life. It did. It did, like when, when my lips would be sealed because I was afraid that what I speak would have consequences. I would remember some goddess stories in which they spoke the truth. And despite all my resistances, I would utter the truth despite any consequence. And that is how I became a truth teller. And that is how I realized that no matter what the consequence, there's too much growth and too much light mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, in being yourself and that nothing should hold you back. And uh, being and, a goddess is not about being angry. It's right, just about okay. being real. Yes. Yeah. And if we're going to change 
if the world is going to change, if the world is going to to grow into what it can be, it's got to start somewhere. And it feels exactly. like you have been had the courage. You've you've had Durga's courage to step into this in a new way. It is said that these stories are magical, and it's interesting that my mother, who didn't live very long, mm-hmm. um, I was only 10 when she transitioned from her body due to a congenital heart condition. But prior to that, every time I insisted on a bed story, bedtime story, which was pretty much every night, she would tell me these remarkable stories, which were probably too much for a young child, but maybe my mother knew that she didn't have much time and so she she dramatized them because she was she also loved theater and uh, and what happened was that I started imagining myself as a diva in my own life Uh and then when in my 20s and 30s my life didn't reflect any of that imagination Mm. (laughs) I had to I had to bring those stories into my life I had to I had to face those demons of self-doubt and guilt and unnecessary shame and blame that we women do tend to carry around mm-hmm. into my life. And I have to say, Laurie, that sometime in my mid-30s, I, I, I settled down in America and I thought, oh, good, we're done. <laughs> we're not no longer in a face patriarchy. Uh, huh. And what a wake-up call that was. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you deal with that? Because that could have been quite a rude awakening. Well, I got angrier in the beginning. I got angrier and now I got angrier for all the women I met because I have been a healer and a teacher for some time. And gradually I got to have conversations with women and people of non-binary genders and even men. Mm-hmm. where patriarchy suffocates men too and everyone yes. to yes. these rigid typecast rules it's and, you know it's why I'm glad you said that because it's really why I didn't want to s- start out by saying hey this this ses- this episode is for women it's not no, it's for no. human beings yeah yeah it's like we all cooked up this false belief and then we're all struggling because of it mm-hmm and and men can't can't connect with their inner feminine. I mean, we women to that extent have connected with our inner masculine, especially mm-hmm. those of us who are enabled and 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 out there. But men, you know, they're mocked and teased mm-hmm. and ridiculed for shedding a tear or expressing an emotion. And this is all patriarchy. And it forces us to lead uh, false lives, pretentious lives, scripted lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. were so focused and, and supporting that journey into being who we really are, into, into that truth. I'm not sure if I was focused. I think I'm focused now. No, that's I what think I mean back now. then I was tormented. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was tormented and broken and I was thunderously angry. But there's something tenacious about me, Laurie. You must have met women like me. Yeah. We don't give up. And 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 we may we may have a bad day, a bad year, a bad decade, but we come back roaring. And that's just what it is. And I'm one of those. Mm. So I, I want to come back to all of that. And I, this is more of a 
to some extent, a personal inquiry. Um, and that's about how you how you came to be the head of this this 2000 year old um, lineage. And how did that how did that intersect with your own journey? How I came to be ahead of that was pure karma. I was born in this lineage, mm-hmm. and my ancestors have been renowned teachers. They still are. Mm-hmm. They're very well known in India. And I was born in this family, and my grandfather had already opened his school and his wisdom school and his teachings to go to the girl child 30 years before I came along on earth, as if he was waiting for me. And from my birth, he gave me extra attention. In fact, when I was very young, like five or six, he told me I'll travel abroad and establish institutions of spiritual education. And I didn't know what abroad meant, like in our language. Of course. So I thought, so I thought he would put me on a boat and I'd like, you know, somehow drift away to Sri Lanka or something. I didn't even know that USA existed when I was a little child. My world was so small. But he knew. So I think I was born to a self-realized master. It sounds like. That's what people called him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, amongst uh, many other potential male candidates, his other students, my brothers, my cousins, he chose me. And he believed in me before I could believe in myself. And he gave me the knowledge and the wisdom. So I had all of that. I had the mantle of the of the tradition and the system. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard some murmur of, of like, um, what is he doing? Has this man lost his, what's um, happening? You know, mm-hmm. um, but he chose me. But then he passed soon after. He transitioned. And I was left in this with this new mantle and a new marriage that was not working out because we are not a monk lineage. We're not celibates. Mm-hmm. We are a householder lineage. There are two kinds of lineages in the Hindu tradition. One is the married and one is the celibate. Uh-huh. And we are the householder lineage. So we take on lovers and partners and, mar- and uh-huh. you know, husbands and wives. So I had this new marriage and I had this new mantle and I thought, well, let me work on the marriage because it's immediate and then I'll slowly work on, uh, you know, taking my lineage forward. But then the marriage, it I lost my way because while karma had endowed me with a guru and knowledge, mm-hmm. karma also made sure that from a relationship perspective, Laurie, I was so, I was so raw. I, I I was so raw, like some souls, they they ace every relationship and some souls blunder through all of them. <laughs> I was a blunderer. I, I didn't understand. I couldn't keep up appearances. I didn't know how to seduce or manipulate. I, I didn't know any of that. Really, I was meant to be an acharya, a teacher, a master teacher. Mm-hmm. And when that marriage fell apart, I internalized shame, guilt, blame, which I see that women worldwide do. Absolutely. And um, and it was really then that I focused on my lineage. And it was hard enough to be the first female head of the lineage and now a divorced one in, in a family that hadn't seen a divorce in 2000 years. Wow. So I was really 
wearing the crown, wasn't I? <laughs> <clears throat> you, you but I did it all. Something you did it. You did it, and you, it's. I did like, it, and I did it with ease. Yeah. Wow, and grace. Yeah. It feels Absolutely. like absolutely. And done that. If you hadn't had those experiences, you wouldn't have this teaching. This teaching that we're talking about today of, of war like a goddess, you wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't be in conversation with you, Laurie. Right. I wouldn't be in a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. I would be busy towing the lines somewhere, somewhere in some corner of India, being the perfect wife and being, 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 being a grateful spiritual teacher who had been given permission to teach. Wow. And still I'm on the world stage today. Yeah. Huh. That that is very that is very potent. The potency that I'm hearing is of we are given permission in a certain sort of way to be a certain sort of person. And when we also know that there is so much more, even from beyond, even even from within a spiritual tradition, then it takes great courage to step outside of that. It also takes great darkness to step out of it into light. Like when you've seen the depth of darkness, you're so ready for light. Mm. You're so ready for it. And and I've seen the depth of darkness, not just outside me, but inside me. And I've seen despair. I've seen depression. And that's why I'm the kind of teacher who can talk about enlightenment and depression and, and, and know that this is part of the human human experience and I coined the term enlightened vulnerability which which, which is what I represent ah, and, and, about, and, that, about enlightened vulnerability well people were either vulnerable um, you know and, and, and they're and the and they form like they are the seekers the students mm-hmm. and then the teachers that I came across were always enlightened with hello which <laughs> made me sick mm-hmm. and I saw myself and I realized well there's a while I'm enlightened I'm vulnerable and while I'm vulnerable I have enlightenment I have knowledge Mm-hmm. And and that and I wanted to carry both of them together, so I had to coin this term to explain people like me. And I feel, Laurie, from just talking to you, that it it may describe you too, where we don't where we don't hesitate to owe up to our vulnerability. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not victims. We're just vulnerable because mm-hmm. it's like humanity. It's yes, it's part of the human experience, and it's. When we don't, yeah. when we yeah. put ourselves forward as as not necessarily even perfect, but as not having that full range, it's really becomes dangerous because people adapt, um, people adopt rather a, a way of being and a way of thinking about themselves that feels like they're always going to be less than because they're they're trying to hold on to some some image. And I feel like you you have granted permission by your way of being. Thank you, because I had this permission to totally pretend to be twice born, mm-hmm. have a halo, like a real bona fide halo. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of privileges and entitlement being the Acharya of an ancient lineage. I have students who look up to me, revere me, and I could totally lead this pretentious false life. And... And yet I choose to speak about what injured me and wounded me because it's important for my students to know 
that that happens and yet there is resilient hope and eternal potential within you which i call the god goddess potential mm. that that can be that can be awakened and brought into your daily life and relationships so yeah Boy, this is something that I didn't know that I would be asking you about, but I feel moved to right now. And that's that's about the mm, the whole guru line, not lineage, but the 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 experience of guruness and student. And it may be my own limited um, understanding, and so that's why I want to bring this out. Is that there have been people that have tried to, certainly with my teacher, make her into a guru. We would, you know, her. We would all sometimes do that, and in in one way or another, you are you are this, and we are not. And she never wanted to take on that mantle because her teaching was about how each of us hold that within ourselves, and it's it's up to us to discover the ways of being able to connect with that, being able to live that, being able to receive our own connection and our own inner guidance. And, and so that has certainly been my teaching. And when someone wants to look to me for not so much for guidance, but for the answers, there's a turning around of that onto, let's see how we can, how you can step into that. And I'm hearing you speak to this in in the way that you're shifting the well i want to say the archetype of a guru does that is this, do you know what i'm speaking to or what i'm asking i am i am I want to say that the guru phenomena, the swami phenomena, mm -hmm. especially as it emerged from India, I think this is a more recent phenomena, like the last 150 years, like the larger than life mm -hmm. phenomena, which partly technology and media and newspapers. And then when the Indian gurus traveled abroad and they were so exotic mm -hmm. that and, and and the way the Westerners drooled over all over them, mm -hmm. that I think it created it was ripe to create a distorted guru phenomenon. Um, but if you go back to traditional lineages like mine, a guru is just a respected elder. Like you would go to Columbia or Harvard or Stanford or Maryland University of Maryland and respect a professor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they, they are they are equals, but they're one among equals mm -hmm. because they are a professor. In the same way, a guru in it is a professor of Hindu philosophy and Hindu practices and Hindu teachings, ah. also known as Vedic practices. Mm -hmm. And they would be humble, they would often be married. They would be just, um, you know, like family people mm -hmm. and the students would graduate and often great kings and prince and princesses would come study with them and they would lead humble lives with the guru and then depart to their palaces mm -hmm. and the guru would continue where they were. And, and it was like a good, the more elevated they were in their consciousness, the more, the more non-pretentious they were. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there was no need to be to unguru yourself because a guru literally means 
Guru means darkness and Ru means light. So a guru was an expert in helping you shed your darkness and bring in light. And then this phenomena got distorted. And then it also, there was so much projection. So there was, it was not just one way. It was not just like the gurus were clever and were taking advantage. The students also are gullible and projecting a lot on the guru. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot. Yeah. Yes. So what I decided in my life was that I'm a guru to, I think, five students mm. up to now. Many call me their guru, but I'm not their guru. I'm just their teacher or their guide or their author or their friend, mm -hmm. you know, inspiration, archetype. But a guru-student relationship is intimate. It's based on confidence, not sexual intimacy, mm -hmm. but on, on trust, on, on, on agreements that while our self is the same, we're equals mm -hmm. at a soul level, I'll get you to play the role of giving you knowledge and you will take the knowledge in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there is no power games in true guru-seeker relationships. And so I stepped away because for a while there, I was just sitting there exposed and people come to a personality like me, they're like, please take me on as your student, you know. And then suddenly I'm taking on everybody's dysfunctionality, mm -hmm. adoration, addictions, and uh, infatuations, which as a roaring goddess teacher, I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> yes. But I have five students that I'm very proud of and, and I'm training them and guiding them. And they're also teaching alongside mm. me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for, for speaking to that. Cause, because it's, it's been such a thing, particularly in the West in, and you spoke to that, of that, of, of how that came to be and, and the, really the lack of balance, the lack of truth, I'll say it that way, when when there is that sense of adoration that is a giving up of self. Yeah, giving away your power to your guru to decide for you, mm -hmm. adulating them. None of this was required. This is not normal. This was not present until 150 years ago. This is a more recent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. So I want to shift in another direction because you, you speak about righteous anger. And I remember a long time ago having a, a vocal teacher who would talk about putting on the full armor of God in certain situations, you know, carrying the spear and being the warrior. And, and I loved it because there are those times where it is so important to have that righteous anger, which is different than self-righteous anger. Oh, yeah. Self-righteous is a slippery slope. We can, I mean, sometimes we have to be self-righteous, but then we have to examine that more closely because sometimes the ego can get self-righteous mm -hmm. at the drop of a hat. Yes. But righteous anger is the harmic anger, ethical anger. It is usually, it, it, it includes the good of all or, or a great number of people. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and for too long, I think the one thing that I got um, really conscious about was like, 
I shouldn't get angry because anger was my first response to injustice. But but then I was shamed for being angry. Because you were a woman? I mean, because only because I was a woman. Okay. Only because I was a woman. And, and and then I saw how even in America, an angry woman is a hag or a bitch or a nag. Mm-hmm. And um, if we have an uh, if we have a female presidential candidate, she's angry. And if we have a male presidential candidate, he has good opinions. So I saw how a woman's anger, the anger of people of color. The anger of people with fluid genders and non-binary genders, that was considered dangerous. And only the anger of certain men of a certain class and certain prestige, that anger was good. That was going to liberate us. That was going to set things right on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there was anger politics going on. And um, and and so what the, the categorization I wanted to bring forward in my book around anger was unconscious anger, which we all want to avoid, where we are just being enlightened and we are throwing tantrums and we're just being big babies and we're, uh, you know, just, yeah, we're just, we're, yeah, you know, and we've all been there and we have to avoid that. It makes us sick and unhappy. Yeah. But there is conscious anger that as a woman, I had to go back and turn on that button. And sometimes I'm still groping for it. It's like, mm-hmm. wait, should I be angry? Like, I have to question that mm-hmm. because it's been so conditioned to not show up. And what comes up is stoicism and peacefulness and adaptation and acceptance mm-hmm. and generosity and forgiveness and contentment and angels and chakras and everything you name it but anger. <laughs> and so, so sometimes I have to grope for it. So that's mm-hmm. conscious anger, which sometimes say you get angry with how you're eating your food and how you're developing hypertension, then that's mm-hmm. going to make you exercise and go on a diet plan. But anger uh, informs us of our boundaries or something's not right. So I, we can suppress anger in an entire gender. And that's not good for our planet. And then lastly, there's super conscious anger from which I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. It was not even about me because by the time I wrote the book, Laurie, I'm leading a very privileged and happy and calm and successful life. Mm-hmm. I wrote this because I'm angry for everyone who has been disempowered, marginalized, or asked to take a back seat. Yeah. And so when you say that, Boy, when you say that, Shunya, what I feel is the <clears throat> the way in which that righteous anger, that super conscious anger, really, is is giving voice to the yeah. previously voiceless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you spoke about just now about boundaries, and that was something else that that I I wanted to ask you about is. Um, the setting of the maintaining of our boundaries, the the ability to know where we stop and someone else begins, where someone else's situation is not our own. That is so important. I mean, when in 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 every aspect of life, in our business life, in our families, how does all of um, the work of establishing our own self worth play into or be allowed? Um, 
be taught from within the Vedas? How does that influence these relationships? Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of teaching in the Vedas on, there's a lot of psychology in the Vedas. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of teachings on like how a river, how a river has boundaries and how she respects it. And that is why, and the, you know, the river banks are there intact because whenever she, whenever she supersedes her own boundary, there are floods and mass scale destruction. Mm-hmm. So how everything in nature is intelligent and knows how to dwell within a boundary. Mm-hmm. And, and the boundary is not so much even about exerting a wall of weapons for another person. It's mm-hmm. like cross this boundary and you know, you're gonna you know, suffer. It's more about, do you live in your own boundaries? Like um and 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 the more you live with boundaries, mm-hmm. so you're so you're non-violently dwelling in your own boundaries so that you're not violating another sentient creature's um rights mm-hmm. and needs, the more you then have standards and you expect the same from others. Mm. It, it's like the more you give the more you become sensitive, sensitized to boundaries. I'm a boundary-filled person. I, I speak in uh, moderation. I don't rape people just because I can talk. I, I rape them with my speech. Mm-hmm. You know how people go on and on and on? Or, or, or I won't. So I use the word rape because I feel as violated when people just talk, 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 talk. And just because they have my audience, they just talk, talk, talk. I'm like, this is like a rape. You know, you just violated me. Yeah. And so... Yeah, right? So in my speech... I have never thought of it that way, but yes. Yes, indeed. It feels like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're Mm -hmm. arrested and and they're just going on and on and on. So I realized I didn't like that, but then that made me look at my own conversational boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then the more you live with them, then the more you expect them. And I'm just going to conclude this, Laurie, that there is a basic confusion in us humans about a primordial relationship, which is with our own self. Because mm-hmm. we were this self before we took on this body, and we will be this self after we discard this body. Mm-hmm. And we need to have a primordial relationship with this, whereas all our secondary relationships, they come and go. And as a result, boundaries are needed to have a hygiene in relationships. Mm-hmm. In the roar, like a goddess, talks a lot about how the goddesses insisted upon this hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> thousand years ago in timelessness. In, in, in absolutely timeless. What are some of those um, potent legends that are so appropriate for us in our so-called modern times? I think every legend was the ones that I shared and then I shared some contemporary case studies and Mm -hmm. examples from my students' lives. So they felt very potent. But a couple of them really like brought home the message. For example, there is one legend in which the goddess visits her family and she feels disrespected. She's the daughter of human parents in one birth, in one avatar. 
and she feels disrespected and she discards that body in front of them. Um, she, she emerges from that body like a bolt of lightning mm -hmm. and ascends into the heaven and disappears and that body just falls to the earth uh, in ashes. And I thought this is so macabre and so gruesome. And why is my mom telling me this story? Mm -hmm. But then, uh, then my mother would say, and then Shunya, as the goddess left, these words um, echoed throughout the planet and the words were, I had told you that I am willing to be your daughter only as long as you respect me. The day you stop respecting me, the day I will stop being your daughter and I am burning to ashes this very body that you had doted as your daughter. And this was a lot for a nine-year-old. Oh my goodness. But then, but then, you know, it allowed me to burn to tinder false agreements, mm -hmm. false, false romantic infatuations, false trust. I just, I just remember the story and I put a matchstick to it in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm done. The, the, uh, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I've done this, I've done this with, um, not too many times, but I've done it at the crucial times. Yeah. And, 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 and this was so powerful because it was a message to all daughters mm -hmm. that even like the most trusted relationship is with your parents, but if you're not respected, mm -hmm. then respect is number one, you know, more than anything else. So that was a very powerful one. Can you I speak, speak to that? Can you speak to what what your meaning in this context about respect? Because I don't, I I know that 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 has different meanings and different implications for for people, for different people. And and I, so let's. Set I think respect. Yeah. No, I believe when I'm speaking, I'm speaking about the respect to our being. It's not cultural. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking about a universal respect mm -hmm. that we deserve, where we are not made invisible, where we are not rejected or, 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 our, or our presence made mm -hmm. um, unimportant. I'm not, I'm not talking about narcissistic importance. No. I'm just talking about, yeah, yeah. Thank and you. That, but I wanted you to give that and, voice because people can misinterpret what respect means. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are times where, for example, I'll give you an example. I had a classroom in which I was, I had willingly agreed to show up in person. And for many years I did, and there were many grateful students. And then gradually, as time changed, technology changed, and we allowed people to watch me online too. Mm -hmm. And then, so there were more students online and less on site when I would show up. Mm. And then one time when I showed up, I realized that there were very few students physically. Everybody was online waiting for my discourse, but they were not enough. And I saw red because it was a cold, rainy day. And I had driven or I, ha I had been driven. Somebody was driving me like you know, almost an hour plus mm -hmm. to show up. Mm -hmm. And if I can show up, why are the others lounging on their couches to watch yes. me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just told them very quietly, I gave them the discourse. 
But before the discourse, I said, note this date and note this discourse and something will change. And I went back and I didn't know what, but I knew something will change. And I had to burn to Tinder that agreement that I'm just going to be your cozy up teacher showing up for you to cozy up with me because you're not showing up anymore. Yeah. And if you're going to be comfortable behind a computer, then I'm going to be comfortable behind a computer. And that's exactly what I did. I ended that situation, which had been going on for a decade. Mm -hmm. There were lots of tears and sorries and apologetic letters and flowers and groveling and guilt tripping and misery demonstration. We can't live without you, dear teacher. Mm -hmm. Give us a second chance. But I changed not only that situation, I changed my entire life. Now I'm so exclusive, it's hard to find mm. a way to pass with me. Mm -hmm. So it was like I used that story because I saw disrespect. Yes. There. And there's a disrespect of, of self in disrespecting you. There you go. There you go. And and so now when I show up in person anywhere, if the students have that opportunity, they're not going to miss it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that they were bad students. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that good relationships can become jaded and disrespect can happen either way. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we need to discard whatever was familiar, like, you know, the daughter's body was familiar. Mm -hmm. So the goddess discarded it. And she, I mean, reappeared in some other body in some other story, but mm -hmm. there you go. That's the end of it. <laughs> and my mother shared that story with me again and again, because maybe she too knew that my daughter will face some situations. And so in a moment of disrespect, I honored myself mm -hmm. and I honored the knowledge that I bear. And uh, yeah, and um, I didn't do it right away. I mean, I gave people a few chances and then I realized that this was just being lazy. Yes. yes. And yeah. the honoring of yourself <clears throat> feels like the honoring of, of presence within you, of, of honoring your own life force, not of your personality. Oh, yeah. No, this is not about the ego. Mm -hmm. Because uh, because I love those students, mm -hmm. I have been their mother like teacher, mm -hmm. and and I couldn't teach them just to to bring this non mindfulness to their to their journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then the students followed me to to wherever I travel and whatever I do now. <laughs> A lot of them will, for example, log on to this conversation and listen. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so moved by how your mother was with you, mm -hmm. and and what a what a brilliant light she was. You know that makes me want to acknowledge that I I I have revisited my mother's uh, presence through this book mm -hmm. because she was my first storyteller. Mm -hmm. And and I have cried a little bit writing this book mm -hmm. um, in remembering her. I mean, I thought I was done, but I remember her and I feel so grateful 
and that she would do this theatrical presentations at 8.30 p.m. at bedtime. <laughs> I feel that. It, I mean, I, it, that, that sounds very yeah. funny to say and probably funnier to hear, but I feel this, this sense of gratitude to her. Oh, thank you. Thank you, dear sister. Thank you. So I know we're we're starting to wind up. I didn't have so many other things I want to ask, but could you take a few moments to um, speak to the Awakened Self Foundation and what that is, and you know yeah. how people can find you? After being in the West, after um, some um, some experiments with. Should I be a traditional teacher? Can I be, um, am I a guru to many? Am I a guru to a few? Uh, I've had a beautiful churning and beautiful, beautiful souls have walked the path with me for over a decade. They have learned these teachings and together we have founded the Awakened Cell Foundation. Mm. Which which is a platform to really disember uh, to to disseminate the knowledge, the Hindu Vedic wisdom of Ayurveda, the health and healing of the body, yoga for the mind, Advaita for the soul, and divine feminine teachings for all of us mm -hmm. uh, to the whole world using modern technology. This is all the fruit of me leaving that original <laughs> that situation where I'd become comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's because I burned to shreds that comfort zone. I have stepped into uh, this beautiful foundation, which is making inroads in so many places. And so if, um, so, you know, people read my books or they hear my podcast and they want to inquire further, study further, mm -hmm. uh, you know, then they come to the awakenself.com and find me there. I will make sure to include that in the show notes so people can can do that. Mm -hmm. And your is your book More Like a Goddess is out and available. It's out. It's it was released worldwide. It has done very well. It's a bestseller. Mm -hmm. And it's available both as a paperback and an audible book with lots of sound effects. And when I was recording it, my publishers just gave me, you know, time to just speak from my heart. Wow. So it has sections where, which is not in the book. And mm -hmm. sometimes I would shed tears while speaking. So it's mm -hmm. very powerful. Both, of, both the versions are very powerful yeah. and available everywhere. I, I, there's an energy certainly to your book i haven't heard the the audible and i'm i i can imagine that because of the the energy with which you with, with the energy that comes through as you speak yeah yeah it was special i i look forward to hearing your perspective because uh Lari, you're, you 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 listen so deeply and you reflect back mm. so beautiful i look forward Thank to your remarks yeah is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners in, in closing? There doesn't have to be, but I just feel moved to ask. Well, I, I just want to thank you for, uh, for this conversation. You, you experience my energy and I experience yours. And I've always found that whenever I'm on podcasts or radio shows, it's always a two-way energy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel the goddess present between us. Do you feel her too? I do. I do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm very, I'm very, I, I feel this complete kind of um, encircling, you know, yeah, you're somewhere on the other too. side of the world, but it feels like you are absolutely here with me and that we are, yeah. we are so blessed. We are so blessed. So in the writing of this book and in and becoming an ambassador of her empowering message, which is for all people, all genders, all cultures, it's timeless. I I really have become uplifted and blessed. And and uh, thank you for inviting me and for creating such a comfortable, energetic um, space so that the goddess could be with us because yeah. we definitely both feel her. And I'm sure our listeners can also close their eyes maybe briefly and mm-hmm. be graced by her presence. And I and she's not a Hindu goddess. She's 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 the goddess. We can just know her through different culturally cultural attributes. Yeah. You know, just whatever you want to call her. Yes, we don't have to separate it into any in any way because that would be completely antithetical to that experience. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, and and I will say thank you, Acharya Shunya. I want to use your title because your title is important. Thank you, thank you for being here at Wisdom Talk Radio. Hmm. And thank you to our listeners, too, for being with us today here at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination. And you can find us, of course, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed listening today, please leave us a review. When you do that, when you leave a review, when you say, oh, yeah, this was special, what that does is that it helps other people discover us. It helps other people really to discover their their own connection with wisdom. And that's what helps transform the world. So if you wish to find more about deepening your own inner connection, take the Quantum Connection Quiz and visit us at thebacainstitute.com. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook. 